UAB MedCast is an ongoing medical education podcast. The UAB Division of Continuing Education designates that each episode of this enduring material is worth a maximum of 0.25 AMA PRA Category 1 credit. To collect credit, please visit uabmedicine.org slash medcast and complete the episode's post-test. Welcome to UAB MedCast, a continuing education podcast for medical professionals, bringing knowledge to your world. Here's Melanie Cole. Welcome to the UAB MedCast. I'm Melanie Cole, and today we're discussing facial nerve disorders and injuries. Joining me in this panel are Dr. Harry Jayarajan. He's an assistant professor and head and neck surgeon in the Department of Otolaryngology. Dr. Renee Myers, he's an assistant professor and craniofacial plastic surgeon. And Dr. Benjamin Green, he's an assistant professor and an otolaryngologist, and they're all with UAB Medicine. Dr. Green, I'd like to start with you. Tell us a little bit about the prevalence of facial nerve disorders and injuries. What are the most common that you see? The most common facial nerve disorders that I see are related to Bell's palsy or idiopathic sudden onset facial nerve paralysis. It's something that happens suddenly, which is in the name of it, and is usually a complete one-sided facial nerve paralysis, kind of a drooping face. Um, most people have, are familiar with a Bell's palsy and, or something like that, and that is by far the most common cause of facial paralysis. It's about 60 to even 70% of all causes of unilateral facial nerve paralysis. So that's the majority of what I see. But we also see a fair number of facial nerve palsies due to injury, whether or not it's a stab injury, a gunshot, um, or a crush injury where people fracture the, one of the hardest bones in the body, the temporal bone, and can cause a pinching of the nerve inside of the bone. But also we see a lot due to cancer, especially living in the southern states. Skin cancers can um, go to the area of the parotid gland and cause facial nerve paralysis, whether or not that's being resected from surgery or the cancer itself hurting the nerve. And so all of those things are the most common types of unilateral facial nerve paralysis. And I would echo that, uh, what Dr. Green said, and then also say that on the pediatric side, you know, we also see a fair number of parents who bring their uh, infants in with what's called congenital unilateral lower lip paralysis, uh, which can be somewhat disconcerting if the child is trying to smile and their lower lip on one side is not moving. Generally, it's a pretty benign thing, and we can generally talk them through that uh, entire process. Um, with some people requesting treatment when the infants are a little bit older. And then, of course, also on the pediatric side, there are some congenital forms of uh, both unilateral and bilateral uh, facial paralysis, including something called Mobius syndrome, where they can have uh, significant dysfunction of the cranial nerve number seven, which is a fairly rare syndrome, but it's definitely something that we see and can follow as well. Well, thank you for that answer, gentlemen. And Dr. Jayarajan, tell us about the clinic at UAB. Tell us about your comprehensive approach that integrates the most cutting-edge therapies for facial nerve disorders spanning from rehab to medical management to surgical repair. At UAB, we've established a multidisciplinary uh, facial nerve clinic. And I think what that means is we know that facial nerve disorders include a range of different uh, problems from pure paralysis to partial function to abnormal function. And there are various methods to treat these. And the importance of this clinic is to sort of bring the strength of multiple different training specialties together uh, to see these patients. And so we try and use a combination of 
surgeons, physiotherapists and nurse practitioners to sort of see the patients and address the patients in this, what we call a multimodal manner. The clinic itself is set up uh, in the ENT clinic. And the reason that is, is probably because as ENT surgeons and head and neck surgeons, we often cause a lot of the problems that we see due to the fact that we have to treat these cancers that quite often involve the nerves. And a lot of our adult patients are patients that present either from trauma or as Dr. Green mentioned before, uh, complications of skin cancer and even complications, complications of brain surgeries and brain tumors, so-called skull-based tumors. And so we sort of sit in a really good uh, position to sort of see these patients and recruit them into the clinic. The clinic runs uh, twice a month. Uh, we do one full day. Uh, it operates operate on a Monday, and we see we have one full day of clinic, and we have a second uh, half day of clinic. Usually, uh, the clinic consists of Ben Green. Ben Green is always there. Uh, we have uh, an APP that's there with him, and we have a speech pathologist who's been specially trained in the management of use of facial and physiotherapy to manage these patients. I try and make it there as well. And we have access to a lot of other subspecialists, often don't need to be there at the clinic at the time, but if we need them to come in and see them for a specific reason, they, they can come and see them as well. When we see these patients, we do a, an initial assessment and all patients receive a standard set of uh, photographs and also have a standard video taken at each appointment. The reason we do this is Having an objective, standardised approach allows us to both objectively assess the patient, allows them also to objectively see um, what problems that they're having, and it allows us to, uh, if we do it at, by doing it at every appointment, it allows us to follow their progress with whatever treatment that we implement. Most patients will start off uh, when we see them, depending on what problems they have, all patients also get assessed using a standardised survey. A number of different systems out there that we use to score patients and to also establish how facial nerve dysfunction is affecting their quality of life. The most common objective measure that is used in, across, uh, across the country and across the world and the one that we use is called the Sunnybrook system. And each patient gets scored, has standardised photography and standardised videography done and then we then ask them a series of questions to assess how this is affecting their quality of life. Then based on the disorders that they have, we then implement a treatment strategy that incorporates usually a combination of physiotherapy, what we call chemical denervation, particularly for patients that are having uh, what we call facial nerve dysfunction rather than just paralysis. And then we discuss surgical treatment options depending on what type of dysfunction and what type of problems or symptoms the patient is exhibiting. There's many different options, uh, but when it comes to surgery, um, we divide them broadly into what we call static options and dynamic options. Dynamic options uh, really involve either trying to get the nerve to start working on its own again, so to the use of nerve graft, or we try and get the nerve to work by hooking it up or connecting it to another nerve, uh, so-called nerve transpositions. Sometimes the patient doesn't even have the muscles to create facial movement. And in those situations, a dynamic approach would involve taking another muscle, uh, something that Dr. Myers alluded to before, a free gracilis uh, muscle flap, and using that to try and drive the face to make a smile. And then there are a lot of other static procedures that we offer really to try and position the face in a better position at rest. It's a, it becomes quite complex, but in general, we use a range of these different techniques to try and 
suit the problem that the patient presents with and suit the, suit the outcomes that the patients are trying to achieve. You know, one of the biggest things in terms of doing multidisciplinary and hearing from, you know, both the plastic surgery standpoint, the ENT standpoint, the physical therapist standpoint, all of those things of everything that we all have to contribute is really paled in comparison to what the patient has to say about what their experience with facial paralysis is like and, you know, what their goals are in terms of what their ultimate reconstruction would be. Um, for example, you know, some of the more elderly patients that have some facial nerve dysfunction or paralysis might opt for less surgery versus a younger patient who has more life to live might opt for a more extensive operation if it meant that their um, life or the way that they can present their face to the world uh, could be improved. Because, you know, people make a lot of assumptions about other people based on what their face looks like. And if half of your face doesn't work or if your entire face doesn't work, then other people that you interact with will misread the emotionality that that person has or doesn't have um, in any given situation. Oftentimes they're described as, you know, being, um, you know, looking like they're mean because they're not smiling properly. Um, and that can really affect somebody's social standing and how they can interact with the world at large. It really is this big deal for them. So getting down to the, you know, what they really want fixed, whether it's something as simple as my eye gets really dry and I need to have that fixed all the way up to, I need a, I need a spontaneous smile because I can't interact with people the way that I want to. Dr. Myers, I'd like you to expand for us a little bit, as even a slight amount, as you're saying, of facial asymmetry or weakness can have a huge effect on a person's quality of life. And due to the sensitivity of these disorders and the intricate nature of what you do, tell us about some of the latest advances, whether it's robotics, minimally invasive technology that could allow surgeons to access hard-to-reach areas. And so give us a little bit of a rundown on what you do. Certainly, discovery of neuromodulation in terms of using, uh, whether it's Botox or Dysport or any of the other uh, botulinum toxins that are available on the market to target certain muscle groups to help with things like synkinesis, where people's muscles are firing at inappropriate times, uh, for example, could sometimes be a very bothersome thing to patients. As we've continued to learn more about facial nerve dysfunction, and um, how we can put nerves back together, transfer nerves or transfer entire muscles um, using microscopes and very intricate microsurgical techniques to put those things all together in a very staged and planned out operation that can, you know, it can take several uh, times in the operating room to get that accomplished over the course of a year or two, have an outcome at the end that everybody can be happy with. And I'd like to add to what Dr. Myers was saying about just having after the surgery or after having treatment, having a good team involving facial therapists, APP support, great photographers is really helpful to getting um, the patients back to the best that they can be. So just, you know, the three of us come in and do these large surgeries, transferring muscles, transferring nerves, what have you. But if without the therapy, without the training, without the retraining, and without the discussions with the patients about 
neuromodulation and chemodenervation or just how to use these new muscles, it doesn't work nearly as well as when you have the multidisciplinary team approach that we've developed here to make sure that they get the therapy that they need to get the muscles and the nerve groups working as well as they can be. And Dr. Green, would you expand just a little bit when you're saying all of this multidisciplinary, multimodal approach, what have you guys learned from generous research on the subject, plus all of this practical experience that you're going over with us today and this multimodal approach? What else have you learned that makes your program stand apart and is so unique in the country? What I learned is that everybody at some level was doing some type of facial nerve repair before we started this. And it just, it was not as coordinated as it, as it could have been. And so by developing the facial nerve clinic, we put everything together and are standardizing the approach so that every patient gets very good treatment the same way with similar people. And I also learned that there's a lot I don't know. And there's a lot that Dr. Myers as a plastic surgeon sees differently than I do. And the same thing with uh, Dr. J. Rajan. We see things and look at things a little different way, not totally different, but just a little bit where it helps having different eyes and different ideas take on, um, to help the, each patient. We also have oculoplastic surgery involved where they specialize in plastic surgery around the eyelids and eyes. And one of the most important parts of managing facial nerve paralysis is making sure that the eye can close appropriately because in early Bell's palsy and facial nerve paralysis, the facial nerve is responsible for closing the eye. And when the eye can't close, it can get dried out, they can get abrasions and um, infections of the eye, where over time can result in decreased vision, irritation, um, and even blindness. And so having people that are very specialized with eyelid surgery on board is very important for the patients. And just seeing how great you know, the oculoplastic surgeons are at doing their job and doing what they love, seeing how great Dr. Myers and the plastic surgery department is um, at helping us out and getting these things done and having partners like Dr. J. Rajan that are just incredible surgeons. It's just been kind of enlightening to me to show me, you know, what else is out there, what other ideas are out there, and um, really, really has been kind of inspiring to see what more we can do for patients and what more we can offer for the whole Southeast region. I agree 100%, Ben, and I would also say that, uh, you know, being able to, you know, especially these big operations, the really complicated things where we're doing microvascular surgery, you know, transferring free functional muscles and doing nerve transfers, all those things, you know, from a surgeon's standpoint, one can go into those things and do it by themselves, but how much more comfortable do we feel having two other microvascularly trained surgeons around during those things? I would say way more comfortable. Because if for whatever reason I'm struggling with something with one of the residents, that's very simple. You know, either yourself or Harry will scrub in and we make it all work. And it's it's a lovely orchestra of surgery that winds up happening because there's very experienced people who have all done these things a lot. And, you know, the uh, particular flaps that we do, especially the gracilis muscle flap, you know, we, we do those things all the time for things like lower extremity reconstruction, which are not quite as delicate an endeavor as facial reanimation. But being able to do those things constantly all the time uh, helps inform us about, you know, uh, reconstruction of a smile um, and doing it up in somebody's face where it's a little more difficult than doing it in somebody's leg. 
Dr. Jayarajan, tell us a little bit about what you've seen, and then I want to give all you gentlemen a chance to to say a last thought on this particular topic. So, Dr. Jayarajan, why don't you start? Tell us a little bit about your outcomes, and do you have any clinical trials you'd like to mention? In the clinic so far, we've seen just over about 200 patients, I think. The most common cause of facial nerve dysfunction by far is that it's been due to uh, Bell's palsy or idiopathic facial nerve paralysis as uh, Dr. Green alluded to before and then we've had a fair amount due to surgery and a fair amount due to trauma. Most of these patients particularly the ones that have had Bell's palsy have been managed non-surgically. The vast majority of them have been able to be managed through a combination of uh, facial nerve, specialized facial nerve physiotherapy, what we call chemical denervation or Botox injections that helps to sort of um, adjust the unwanted movements that can sometimes happen as the face starts working again. And so far, for those patients, we've noticed a significant improvement in both objective measures. So that means using what we sort of talked about before, the Sunnybrook, the objective Sunnybrook scoring system, we've seen a significant improvement in their objective facial nerve function and we've also seen a significant improvement in their standardized quality of life scores and that basically says that patients themselves are feeling a lot happier and a lot better and that's without even uh, requiring surgery. With regards to our facial reanimation techniques we've had relatively good outcomes so far with our reanimation but also with reanimation, it takes a lot of time to actually see the nerve come back and that's something that's really important when you see these patients is that a lot of these patients that have, that have uh, required nerve sacrifice due to uh, tumours or traumas or, or brain surgeries, when we do these surgeries, the nerves take time to recuperate and regrow along the, the nerve grass that we put down. And so that takes months uh, to really happen. And so we're still waiting to sort of see what the long-term outcomes of those nerve grafts have been. With regards to uh, our general physiotherapy for our facial nerve dysfunction patients, we've had excellent outcomes. And that's based on both our objective measures and also uh, the subjective quality of life scores that we've been looking at. With regards to where we go from here, we've just submitted a publication going over how we've come about uh, starting the clinic, setting it up, and looking at our initial outcomes. I feel that the next endeavor really is to is to really explore our long-term outcomes with our dynamic reanimation techniques uh, and that's probably the next place that we're going to be really focusing on and hopefully assessing long-term outcomes regarding that. That's exactly right. The most interesting thing for me about doing the facial nerve clinic and seeing the facial nerve patients is just how happy people are um, to be listened to and actually get treatment. Some of the patients have had Bell's palsy and the sequela of a partially healed Bell's palsy for 20 years or more. And we're told years ago that there was nothing more that can be done. And that's just not true anymore because we can take care of folks that have had all kinds of facial nerve problems. I mean, it has never happened that somebody's come to me with a facial nerve problem and I said, there's nothing we can do. Because there's always something that we can do to help people. And um, it's just, you know, it's very satisfying when you can tell people that you can help them when they've been looking for something for a long, long time. So well put. And Dr. Myers, I'd like the last word to be 
for you, please tell other providers when you feel that it's important that they refer to this amazing clinic at UAB Medicine and any exciting advances, what you see on the horizon happening for facial nerve disorders and injuries. You know, I would say that it's interesting, you know, for upper extremity, you know, some of the uh, plastic surgeons around the country, uh, including some of us at UAB, are starting to get into what's called targeted muscle reinnervation, which hasn't been worked out uh, significantly uh, within the head and neck area. But that's certainly some place where, you know, things could potentially go in the future, um, trying to actually reinnervate individual muscles uh, within the face. As far as, you know, who should be referred to us, um, you know, certainly we're always available. It's very easy to uh, get a hold of us at UAB and any provider that simply wants to have a conversation with us if they have questions about a particular patient, we're more than happy to talk to them on the phone and equally willing to see people in the clinic that need to be seen in the clinic. And really any sort of, whether it's idiopathic, traumatic, congenital, or anything else that provides a uh, facial asymmetry or a dysfunction in somebody's facial musculature, we are absolutely 100% ready to see those things and be able to hopefully provide something to improve those people's lives. What great information. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on today and collaborating and sharing with us your incredible expertise for other providers about the clinic at UAB Medicine. Thank you so much. A community physician can refer a patient to UAB Medicine by calling the MIST line at 1-800-UAB-MIST. That concludes this episode of UAB MedCast. For more information on resources available at UAB Medicine, please visit our website at uabmedicine.org physician. Please also remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and all the other UAB Medicine podcasts. I'm Melanie Cole.